Welcome to Debt to Cinema. I'm Brian Gillis. And I'm Stephen Maltmanex. Like most people, we love going to the theater and catching latest releases. However, you can sadly put a big dent in your wallet. Fortunately, living in the digital age makes the viewing possibilities endless from the comforts of home. Many of these films that you can see right from your couch, we're ashamed to say we miss, despite labeling ourselves cinephiles. So join us as one or both of us cross off a title from our list of shame. It can be an all-time central classic. Or an underrated piece of cinema that's worth giving a shot. Hell. It might just be some trashy film we want the other's opinion on. So sit tight and join us as we pay off our debts, one dollar at a time. What do you want? Give me what I want. What do you want here? I want, I want a job. A job? I promise you an easy 300 bucks. I don't get an easy feeling. How's your skin, son? I like my aides to be presentable. Well, I, I've had a few sets. Um, but my roommate, he let me his clinic because he's from Chestnut Hill and he's got The History of My Skin by Charles Sims. Get out my dress blues. They're in a garment bag in the closet. Are, are we going someplace, Kurt? What business is that of yours? Don't shrug, imbecile. I'm blind. Our destination, New York City. 1992 Greatest Hits. We got, we got another classic here. Unbeknownst to me, I totally forgot this was directed by Martin Brest, who on my DVD case, and I'm assuming also your VHS cover, is proclaimed as from the director of Beverly Beverly Hills Hills Cop. Cop, Yeah, last week we had the conversation of, wow, Rob Reiner and Steven Spielberg, these like blockbuster guys, and yet again here, Martin Brest also, until this point, a blockbuster guy, making these very personal, Hallmark-esque, classic style films in the early 90s. I don't know how to put him, peg him as a director. I mean, he's only got, what, like five films under his belt? Yeah, this one was his high point. The dude made Jiggly. Or Jiggly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love Beverly Hills Cop, but I don't, not sure how much credit I want to give to this guy. I haven't seen Midnight Run, but I have to assume it's good good. because it's what he, he followed Beverly Hills Cop with, but I love Sound of a Woman. Obviously, I picked this one. I own it. Meet Joe Black underrated movie even if it's like three hours long i have not seen it but it's back and forth where there's people that really like it or they hate it it's it's kind of like this film it is a total philosophical meditative experience where primarily what's going on is communication or dialogue between a couple of characters and then Gili is also kind of like that i'm gonna rewatch it at some point in my life but yeah, that ruined his career. It ruined <laughs> J-Lo's acting career. It ruined lots of careers. But this one began them. Al Pacino notably wins his first Oscar, which he was trying to get big time since forever. You get Chris O'Donnell basically having his big breakthrough role. He went on to do, among other things, I don't know, Batman Forever and uh, Vertical Limit, School Ties, Vertical Limit. Um, Vertical Limit's actually not bad for no, what yeah, it is. We don't get movies like that anymore, really. Yeah. It's a total genre action piece. But Chris O'Donnell, like, yeah, like if you haven't seen School Ties, also 1992, also set in a prep school, except that one is, like, basically about uh, why anti-Semitism sucks ass. Um, but also, evidently, most of the cast that he's with in that movie, they auditioned for the same in part one. in this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really not much trivia you can get, though. That's kind of how ex- as exciting as it gets. Yeah, the, the trivia of this movie is look at how awesome Philip Seymour Hoffman is in his breakthrough role. Mm-hmm. Look at how great a character Chris O'Donnell plays. And then look how fun and interesting this film is about basically a blind asshole <laughs> and his heart of gold young aide. As far as I see it, one of the quintessential 1990s coming of age films because this is not 
a teen movie. This is not like a John Hughes type film. This is not a party or feel good flick. Mm-hmm. This is much, very much so what it's like when you know nothing to learn everything from someone who's gone through it. And then more so what it's like when you feel like you don't want to learn anything else and you're being reminded that life is still worth living. Like it, on like both sides of the spectrum for the 17 year old and the 70 year old, even though he's not quite that age no, here. No, not here, I just, no. That, that's, I yeah, mean, not, he's almost yeah, he's, 80 He's now, like 60. I think. Probably like 57. It's probably 17, 57 mm-hmm. or something like that at, at this time in the film. But the first time I saw it on cable, I just knew it was going to be one of those movies for me. Maybe that's the score because it is by, uh, what's his yeah, name? Thomas Newman. Shit. Thomas Newman. And it just sounds like American Beauty in a lot of different ways. And the <laughs> film is also kind of reminiscent of the type of thematic elements that are composed in that film as well. Just the way the trumpets and the strings play when they're getting out of limos or walking down the street. And it just it has that feeling to it. Like there's something about his scoring where it's like, yeah, it's probably an Oscar movie. And, and this one is. There's something yeah, about his scores just in general, whether it's uh, it's Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. I Here, actually, it ended up being one of the weak points for me just as it went on. Yeah. It, like, you it know, it's a little this bit is, manipulative. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that I did not, you know, I didn't hate, but started going downhill for me. And, like, there was just a certain point where I started realizing, wow, this is actually a bit too long, maybe. And also probably a bit too manipulative in ways where I just don't feel like music is necessary. Like, one thing I do really like about this movie at first is how scenes start to play on. You know, like, the first time that he meets Mm -hmm. Pacino, that goes on for quite a while but you're just you're you're fascinated by him yeah you just keep watching him you just want to see more of uh, who this guy is and I mean there's a lot of great moments peppered throughout but I do think pacing at least for me does kind of become a bit of an issue because it's not like these scenes are bad but for me there is a point where I'm just like well I I don't feel like I'm necessarily going anywhere or like I'm in a position where it's been it's any different than it was before it's a long it, film it is it's, a really it's long two and film. And a half hours it's a, it's a long journey despite only like what the story time is maybe five days like it i think it's a it's, it's thanksgiving weekend um or do yeah, they come back on like I mean, a monday or tuesday something they, like that. they come the film ends on a monday but it doesn't start on that friday if, if you know with if you look at the legal drama that's at play here they say tuesday last and that means that the film started before that so the film is like Monday to Monday or Sunday to Monday. It's about a week, uh, and it feels like a week. Like I, I thought the runtime was two hours. I forgot it was two hours, two hours and seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it's it's long, um, but at the same time, it has and it's adapted from a novel. But it 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 feels like a book. It's also the remake of this Italian movie, which you know, I'm wondering if maybe it's it's one of those things where just it's kind of an art house idea of like, oh, they wander around and. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's much more deliberately slow. And here it's got that Talking. Hollywood touch on it where there's the score, you know? Well, here's the Waldorf Astoria. Here's a limo. Here's an escort. Here's a tango scene. <laughs> here's them getting close. Like, you could take just about any scene or sequence of this film and just cut that and show it to someone, and it's pretty much the whole movie. That'd be a dangerous way to pitch the movie itself, though, because then that would that would definitely have like them messed with my expectations, it. yeah, or, or mm-hmm. just ruin but, your viewing experience a bit. Because this is very much so, in my opinion, one of those films where there are scenes that stand out, and sometimes that makes for a bad movie, but that's just kind of the way it is, in the same way, like, sometimes when you're reading a novel, certain chapters or pages really stand out. Like, those are the ones that you rip, apart and take with you in your back pocket or highlight or whatever and like personally for Mm -hmm. me in this one it's that tango scene 
You yeah, know, like which is great. The big moment of the film, or better than that, um, them driving the Ferrari, or like not even that, well, just that, the that's Ferrari the thing driving. too. It's it's also like you know he does say oh, at one point near the end two reasons why. Uh, yeah. you know, you shouldn't die because you drive a Ferrari better than anyone I've seen, and you also do the Tango better than anyone I've seen. And I'm thinking in the back and, of my yeah. mind, what a coincidence! <laughs> Those are the two best moments I've seen in this movie, and I'm what like two it's, hours and it, and twenty minutes. It's like at I this told point. you, this one is fine to watch on VHS because very little about what you're actually seeing matters, and those yeah. are the only two sequences that matter. They really do. That Tango scene, which is on YouTube in its entirety, mm-hmm. you want the best like visual fidelity you just do for looking around the room watching everything you want to hear the sound at you know it's this pristine like source quality you just you want to really be in that moment well, the sound like, is I don't... good for this movie too by the way i had my headphones on and the mm-hmm. the track it half on the, and half yeah the track on the tape it, it worked out fine it was a stereo track so you know for two channels going into your ears it's good and and I, just to to get this stupid thing out of the way but i don't know you know for some reason you know i'm I'm not trying to like um build up vhs as being something awesome but there is something that i kind of liked as far as experiencing this as the way that it was released on home video back in the day you know it definitely Mm -hmm. gave a sense of time and place that yeah it was nice and it did look good too still it wasn't beating the shit so there was that yeah my dvd is from 1998 and it uh has some digital artifacts a little bit and the menu fucking sucks like this is one of those dvds that came out so early on that if you go to special features it says production notes and cast and crew yeah (laughs) it's one of those where you go so the only reason i have this on dvd is so i don't have to rewind it and because it takes up less space uh yeah yeah, um I, i guess back to the movie um you know, it's funny because like those moments, it's it's like you said, you know, there are certain chapters that stick out. There's certain scenes that work in a movie. And I think that's definitely fair. It's just I look at the movie as a whole and like really there's these individual moments that I like. But then as a whole, I'm just kind of left with like this is a bit problematic. And then as I'm done watching the movie, I start thinking more and more. And these cynical thoughts come in of, OK, this is this might be. Al Pacino's sympathy Oscar that he got because what other great roles did he have? You know, there was Michael Corleone in The Godfather. There was, um, there's Dog Day Afternoon. Um, freaking uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the supporting role that he got in the same year. He was nominated, you know, the same year. Yeah, which that that was also great. I mean, which, you know, I, I think is a better movie. But then again, it's like, this is a deserving role to get that for, absolutely, because just the physicality of this role, you believe oh, yeah. that Pacino is blind. Like the totally way that he describes blind. Yeah, the way that he just like describes like playing it was like he just focused on one thing in Nothing. front of him, didn't use his periphery, like and just mm-hmm. kept moving. I'm like, yeah, that to have that much focus, you know, doing that props to the man, like it worked out beautifully. It's like I know Daredevil is a good episode for us. <laughs> I have to imagine that Ben Affleck, because he wears glasses in that film, but I have to imagine he studied this role a little bit. Pacino, I think, went to like a school of the blind to truly understand like how to use the cane and how they work. And you know, he's not exactly a method actor, but he did method on this one. That when he was on set, he wouldn't look at people when they talked. You know, he he stayed yeah. in his blind performance, so he could really live that. And like even how hard it must have been to even perform the tango scene which they shot for three days rehearsed for like two weeks it's very physical and how i mean you don't see his face in every single shot of that sequence but at the same time how hard it must have been to not make eye contact with your dance partner 
for them to know that you're not going to make eye contact with Mm -hmm. them. Well, and also, like, just how Mm -hmm. well choreographed that must have been, too. Like, just him memorizing the room probably based on steps, knowing the area well enough, you know, like doing it the way that a blind man would like give me i need some coordinates what am i looking at here <laughs> like just the the way that you kind of this film i don't know introduces to an audience what it's like to accompany or be around a blind person that you know like don't grab my arm and you yeah. know you you have charlie apologize and he goes no don't apologize you didn't know that's why i'm telling you you know like now you won't fuck up again right and there, there's so many moments like this, and you realize throughout the film that, yeah, no, Charlie, he might be stoic in the legal bookends of this film in terms of what's going on at prep school. You know, like, he has integrity, he has heart, he has principles that no one's going to shake him on, but he's still young. He's still learning these things. This on-the-outskirts, like, old asshole at the end of his life pretty much or at least he assumes is the end of his life is teaching him a lot he's embarking imparting so many life lessons here um even if it's just about you know the title itself the role the scent a woman plays in terms of who she is which every time that happens in this movie is you know just one of those highlights where like oh man it's one of those like, things where it's him. like it's it's a nice touch, and at the same time, I'm thinking uh-huh. uh, it's such a misleading title, you know, because it sounds like a fitting title for uh, you know at least to me. Like, what what if this was a story of a blind man that fell in love with a woman, and then there was a romance, and that was kind of what I thought this movie was going to be, to be honest. Because no. I'm like, oh, Brian <laughs> says he loves this movie, and then you know I kind of remember halfway, wait, you you chose to follow this up with a few good men. Where's the courtroom thing? And yeah. then you get to the oh, end. It's, and it's like, yeah. uh, you, you gotta be kidding me. Is this really how, it's a, uh, it's a Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment. Yeah. It's sure. a, it's a Frank Capra ending that yeah. comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Given that, you know, that's one of my favorite films. Um, yeah. and you know, like I said, this is also in its own way, a legal movie because you never lose track of that. I think that's the beauty of the pacing of this film, that that's really the thing that matters from the beginning to the end. There's definitely that sense of anxiety of like, oh shit, mm-hmm. like something's like, gonna, I'm going to wh- get fucked over the, and here I am The car stuck in is New feeling York. heavy again, you know, like what's wrong? Tell me about it. Who's George Sr., George Jr.? You know, just uh, the phone calls they're doing to the lodge, like calling his parents' house, that you have these little moments where he's consistently always thinking about, I have to go back to school. Can I get the plane back? I can't be here anymore. You know, like he's never losing sight of his future. He wants to maybe not go to Harvard, but he's definitely going to college. You know, like it's not necessarily about Chris O'Donnell's character. It is 100% about Al Pacino. And the reason the title matters is because the thing that makes him realize life is still worth living is the scent of a woman. You know, he has that line. There's so many good lines in this movie. When he has his fat cat and he's about to leave to go to New York and my cat currently is fucking biting things and making a mess and who knows, (laughs) if you hear weird sounds, that's him. Uh, He picks up his cat. You know, actually, the first line of dialogue from Al Pacino's character, and he's off screen, you haven't met him yet, when his niece asks him, you know, do you want the cat in? And he goes, no, he's trying to chase that calico from the track houses. And, <laughs> and like, then she just goes the like, fuck? he's really a sweetheart when you get to know yeah, him. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. Just take him on walks. Don't <laughs> don't let him drink too much. Try to limit him to four drinks a day type shit. But then as soon as they leave, he has the cat in his arms like, ooh, I love you, I love you, and I love you. And he goes, like, his fucking line is, uh, just remember have sex or something like or don't forget to fuck or like it's something like that just out of left field and you're like okay okay this guy might be crazy and blind and he might juggle grenades or whatever and he might not shut the fuck up about Lyndon B. Johnson and his time with him 
But when you have that sequence, I think it's, yeah, it's on the plane. It's when they're in first class. Mm-hmm. And he's really, it's like the first time you really hear him talk and you go, okay, every time Al Pacino has a monologue, you got to listen to it because it's important. He's telling you life lessons. And he goes, you know, my favorite thing in life, you know, he starts talking about women. He starts talking about their legs and their mm-hmm. breasts and their <laughs> nipples and their lips. And, and like the pussy being, uh, what is it, a passport to heaven, I think it is. And, you know, he's, he's talking about all these things and he's like, a, a distant second, a very distant second is a Ferrari, right? Mm-hmm. The Ferrari didn't do it for him. The escort that he had the night before driving the Ferrari didn't do it for him. What did it for him was the tango. What did it for him was, you know, talking to the professor uh, after the disciplinary hearing. You know, mm-hmm. these reminders of yeah. I'm an old man, I'm blind, I'm And an there's asshole. someone that still wants to spend time with him, too, because he's at that age yes. where it's more than just that. You know, he's, he's looking yeah, for a place not, to hang his hat. It's not companionship. He needs someone that is going to be with him. You know, they have that, that moment in the hotel when it's almost a, a double homicide or a homicide-suicide, whatever you want to call it. You know, the most intense moment of the film. And how fucking horrible would it be if the film just ended right there? <laughs> you just hear a gunshot and it cuts to black. Um, Al Pacino was approached first, okay? Mm-hmm. But when he declined, and then later his his uh, agent said, don't be a dumbass, please take this movie. You probably said, you're going to win an Oscar, trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, they approached Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And you can totally picture Jack in this role. Like, I could also picture Pacino in the other role too for a few yeah, men, yeah. But definitely, you know, like, I think it works out perfectly because uh, <laughs> I, I don't. You know what? Probably the Tom Cruise Jack Nicholson impression that might be a reason alone to keep it that way for me. I mean, I can also picture Tom Cruise going, "Hoo Yeah. Well, this is the first <laughs> movie that he did that too. It's funny because I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> after Al Pacino wins an Oscar for this, he just starts kind of oh, going wow. nuts and doing everything the same way where Simone. Yeah, where he just kind of, you know, even heat, you know, that moment where his eyes just like bulge out. And he's like, she's got <clears> a big <throat> ass and you got your head all the way up it. Like, I think what happened is Al Pacino, you know, his whole career thought he was a really great actor and no one respected that fact they're like and then oh, he wins an like oscar godfather because of marlon brando crazy. yeah they only like the godfather part two because of robert de niro it's not me it's not fucking me it's always someone else and yeah, the one movie that's the about me they hated uh-huh. which is part three so he yeah. he wins the fucking oscar and then yeah he goes full on i'm al pacino deal with it i'm yeah. gonna be in jack and jill I'm going to be in heat. I'm going to be in this. If you don't like me, fuck you. I've already made it. 88 minutes, okay? Like, everything he does now is probably him going, I don't need another Oscar. I got my Oscar. I'm vindicated. I'm validated. Like, I am the man. And I will ad-lib random shit. Like, when was the last time? It was that, was it something Collins? I think it was his last theatrical film. Yeah, yeah, which I didn't and see, now, but I remember a trailer I heard it was, was good. for it. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it was good. And um, He just now does what he wants now, man. He's approaching 80. Well, well, now he just does HBO movies, really. He has the You Don't Know Jack on Jack of Orkin. He has the Santini, what is it, the the Penn State movie. I think he has, like, another one. Like, he's he's totally Mr. HBO Films. I'm mm-hmm. sure all those roles are great because, you know, he, he's a great actor, and great actors never age, really. They just get better with age, um, which is why I really hope before he passes that Jack Nicholson comes out of retirement for some fucking movie. Mm-hmm. God knows what it's going to be. But something. But if Al Pacino can still do it, and he can ad lib and do some crazy fucking shit on camera, I want to see you less at Laker games and more on on screen. Like I just, 
maybe that's about Schmidt coming out of me, like because it <laughs> took me so long to see that one. And it was such an early pick on the show too that you know, like no one's seen that. That's gonna be one of those films where he dies and then someone watches it and they're like, oh my god, I just saw about Schmidt. It's so amazing. How didn't I see this before he died? Like that's gonna be exactly what happens. Like Al Pacino, like this is one of those films for him too. Like when he dies, people are gonna go, oh yeah, he won an Oscar for this one. Check it out. He gives a lifetime performance. Um, which might be pushing a little far, but I, I, it's, I think it's just the physicality of the role, the way that he totally owns it, that he goes for broke. There's so much of himself in this. I love this movie, even if on this viewing I wasn't as enamored as that first or perhaps mm-hmm. second time that I caught it. There's just something about this one where I don't care what age you are. Like I said, if you're 17 or 57 or younger or older, that because you know this is a virginal like all American boy, no facial hair, no tattoos, no bad language really like kept together, even though he's poor, even though he's from Oregon, he's living on the other side of the country that, you know, he's what American can be. Like he's the idea of this Baird school. Like he is their poster child. And then you have on the opposite side of the track, someone that got kicked out of the military, someone who doesn't really have family anymore, just this old miser, this asshole in the way that they have this symbiotic relationship where they're equally learning things from each other, where it is ultimately just about the power of not necessarily even friendship, but companionship, how necessary it is at any part of life to have someone, anyone, not only just to talk to, but to talk with, to hang out with, to just, you know, enjoy life. Because even if you feel like you're done, it's over, you want to throw in the towel, which they both do here, they are reminded. Like, it doesn't end in a Frank Capra way, because when he walks up that driveway and he's talking to his... It almost does, but when he's talking to his his grandkids, like it feels... Or not his grandkids, his his great nephew and niece, Mm -hmm. um, it feels a certain way. But then again, when he's like, okay, get in the car, have fun for Christmas, you should stop by sometime, and they leave. There's no hug, there's no handshake, there isn't a thanks for being there this weekend, thanks for saving my life type of thing. It is more like, hey, the way it's it's performed, it's like, hey, you know what, you're a good guy, I had a good time with you this weekend, thanks for being around. Let's do it again. I don't know, there's just something times in life where when you hang out with a total stranger for like a period of time, you're actually more open with them about things that you don't yep. talk to with anyone because you're not likely to see them for a while and it just it, things come out but you know for that ending it should be like that but fucking Thomas Newman's score just makes it feel away, like it's yeah. it's going for something else and then it yeah it it does sort of just kill it for me a little bit um well just that that limo pass like driving away shot lingers for a little too long it it I, I don't know. It's 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 not the best movie ever made. It has flaws. It's a little too long. This the score is leading, but at the heart of it, you have lots of actors giving it their all. Some of them known stars. Some of them rising stars. Some of them people that you didn't even know in the first place, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, or as he's known in this film, Philip S. Hoffman. But other than like those little tiny moments, or someone going like, "Oh, it's not the '80s anymore." It is a timeless film like it does have a certain hallmark to it uh that i i think you'd be hard pressed if you're looking for something that just i can almost imagine the trailers i haven't seen one but i know you've already have and probably cut it but i can imagine like the movie phone guy going a friendship for the ages (laughs) an old man Uh. a young boy 
together, never the same after meeting one another. Yep, and just, this is just try to imagine the music that's woman. in the background. Um, oh, but, I can. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I think for me, it's, I think it is ultimately a dime a dozen. You know, there's definitely, it's funny because, you know, I I couldn't help but like want to check Letterbox to just see what praise there was or if, mm-hmm. you know, really what it does because I ultimately just, it, it didn't click and it seems like everyone that loves it acknowledges the flaws, but there's still something there for them. But I also think just for me that this is, stories like this um, or just any any movie that deals with depression where that kind of is the main subject, I tend to find pretty boring. I mean, this, like, you know, I brought this up with the gray and that's kind of an exception of the rule, but typically for me, depression just in story or just in film it's not interesting at all. It's it's just very it's it's just there. It's very static. It's very boring. It's inert. You know, it never gets a chance to develop. And I say that as someone that's also um, you know has gone through depression many times in my life. And it's kind of the same way that my own depression just isn't fucking interesting at all. That that's why I rarely talk about it, if ever. I mean, you know, the gray. I think it's that's a different movie but that's also a different example where that's that element of it is introduced and then it's carried through the Mm -hmm. entirety of that movie where you know it's present and yet they still you still got to act in the moment and deal with the shit but uh, you know this is for that it's very well performed and well uh, played and you learn enough details there but then I, I get, they just don't really develop in any meaningful way for me you know like I do see that ultimately at the end all these things can happen and you can fucking whine about your life and then someone ultimately says that one thing that gets you to come back from the ledge which is hey you fucking dance better than anyone I've ever seen do the tango and you fucking drive a Ferrari like nobody else I've ever seen um, so uh, you know just uh, for me ultimately it wasn't there but I, I think I can see it. I mean, I'm also I'm curious to see what the original Italian version of this is like, though, too, at some point down the line. So maybe that might happen. See, I, I'd counter that this isn't about Al Pacino's character's depression because they are equally depressed. But that's ultimate. I, I don't know Chris about the, the kid is growing. He just and doesn't just, know it. Yeah, he, he doesn't he's know kind he's of, depressed. Well, he's, like he he's kind of he's confusing. He's got I don't we don't we get like enough tidbits about his family, but you no, know he doesn't have a father. He doesn't like his stepfather. That he left his home on the western seaboard to go to the eastern seaboard. Well, see, I don't know. For me, it seems like one of those things. Doesn't also have with any him. friends. Like all he has is school and work. He'll take any odd job. There's a reason why he stops Al Pacino from killing himself. I think it's less so because he has a conscience and more if he were to witness that or to walk in on it or to be aware of the fact that he would probably think if there's nothing worth living for this guy, this guy that is accomplished, a lieutenant Mm -hmm. colonel that's highly decorated, that has a large family, that, you know, has made it and has retired and doing all these things and spending all this cash. Yeah, it's like, then what what do I have? Yeah. Yeah, like, what is there for me? And he is confused he doesn't it doesn't even seem like he has any friends you know like there are this group of four who kind of mock him and pick on him but they did they send treat him, him like shit and they oh yeah for sure but you know there's that line where they're like oh do you want to come with us he's like, oh i'm a little short Go he's like Stad. how short yeah. and it's like it, it's gestad don't anyone that's been there says the g um where then you get harry walking away who pays like the ultimate awesome like prep school asshole where he goes like 
it is the job of the rich to offer like the drippings to the poor yeah. and you just go yeah. yeah and i'm just like this ain't titanic yeah. bro shut the fuck up <laughs> kind of is though he like, would have been the perfect he, billy zane i guess at that like, point but yeah this is in the prep school canon even though it's less about preparatory school than the others <laughs> one other ones are if you look at you know goodwill well not goodwill hunting but uh school ties and dead poet society and you know, i still um, gotta see dead poet society dead poets is a big one because of its uh its cast i mean you got like a young yeah. hawk you got a young robin williams oh, got, i want to see it and i was considering it for the movie. show too but i don't want to force robin williams on you because i know you're yeah still you know, yeah <laughs> still <laughs> three years man three years two years Three, um, 2014. Well, I'll tell you what, because it's September and there's not that much that's topical. You want a preparatory uh, or a prep school pick for next week? Uh, you're gonna you're gonna pick Dead Poets, aren't you? No, I'm gonna give you Toy Soldiers. Fine, fuck it, let's do Toy Soldiers. But yeah, this this is a buy for me. I I really hope if you're listening and you haven't heard this one that this makes you check it out. It is worth a watch, even if it isn't perfect. Um, even if you don't agree with a lot of it, uh, such as Steve doesn't. Oh yeah, I, I still I would not tell anyone not to see it for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it's it's not necessarily a feel good movie. I think it's a little too racy for that moniker, um, but it will make you feel better about your life. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening. We hope it's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by checking out the Dollar Review Show, where we cover theatrical and streaming releases, as well as give our two cents on anything we sought out on our own, whether that be TV, music, etc. You can find all of our content at dollarreviews.net. Follow us on Twitter, or like us on Facebook at Dollar Reviews. And we're also on Google Play Music, iTunes, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, just about anywhere on the internet with hours of content available to you for free. But for those of you that feel that the show is worth your dollar, you can send us a donation at patreon.com slash dollarreviews. Contributions not only earn our undying love, but they also make it possible for us to improve our recording equipment and to give you the highest quality episodes possible. But more importantly, they'd be helping us acquire the content to review. You know, trips to the multiplex are expensive, and the more donations we receive, the more films we can review for your listening pleasure. If you listen somewhere we're currently not available, you'd like to contribute some talking points, send a debt to cinema request, or if you just want to laugh at us, you can do so by reaching out to us on social media or send an email to brian at dollarreviews.net. Or you can email me as well, steve at dollarreviews.net. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Brian Gillis, that's B-R-Y-O-N-G-I-L-L-I-S, and now you know how to spell the email too, and also under the same name on the Love You site, Letterboxd, which acts as my film diary, or rate films that I'm watching, or at the occasional review, and even sometimes compile lists. You can also find me on Twitter at S underscore MTX and also follow my film diary at Letterbox under the same name where I log everything I watch and sometimes write brief reviews. That's it for this week. Until next time, keep the change. <laughs>